Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This week marks the 60th anniversary of John Cleese launching his TV career as a writer on That Was the Week That Was on the BBC in November of 1962, which of course led to Monty Python and Faulty Towers. I spoke to Cleese in 2017 when he visited Washington, D.C. for a special Q&A and screening of Monty Python and the Holy Grail at the historic Warner Theater. Hi, Jason. This is John. Mr. Cleese, so awesome to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. I want to know about your name. I like this last name of yours, Fraley. What's that about? Yeah, you like that? Um, I believe it's German. Yeah. It's a little... I know I'm part German and Irish, but I think the name's German. A little bit of Cherokee in me, but mostly German and Irish. Oh, I had a Cherokee, partly Cherokee wife once. Really? Oh, interesting. So we're sort of related. <laughs> yeah, but you're much funnier. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, the audience will make up its mind about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, just so uh, everyone knows, we're here to talk about uh, John Cleese is coming to DC's Warner Theater. It's going to be an awesome event. Uh, you guys are screening uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, 1975, comedy classic in its entirety, and then you're going to uh, follow it up with a Q&A. Yeah, I, we showed the movie, and then I come up and uh, explain to the audience why it's not as good as they think it is. <laughs> and then they ask me lots and lots of questions, which are very nice, and some of them are extremely rude and intrusive and vastly entertaining. Um, some of them are extremely silly. One person said to me, they sent the questions up on a card, and one of the cards said, if you could turn one of the other Monty Pythons into a dessert... What would it be? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? And who did so you it say? Gets, it get, oh, I said uh, Idle Sorbet, which wasn't very good, but I didn't have any time to think about it. You know? <laughs> I mean, one person asked me, if, say, he said, if you could be a component part of an aircraft, what component part would you choose to be? <laughs> yeah, I said uh, the joystick to that one. <laughs> um, but it's a very happy event because I've got to tell you, this sounds like show business bullshit, but it's absolutely true. I do have the nicest fans in the world because, first of all, they've got a nice sense of humor and they really know how to laugh. None of that polite smiling. And the other thing is they're silly. Um, some of them come dressed as Python characters, but it's, <laughs> it's a terribly happy event. You suddenly sit there with a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand people and they're all having a good time and you look out there and you think actually the world isn't too bad a place some of the time. You know, because I think <laughs> we need a little bit of communal feeling and laughter right at the moment. 
Absolutely. That's exactly right. There's a lot going on in the world, so it's going to be nice to sit back and just laugh at your movie. But I, I thought, uh, interesting what you just said there, how you said it's it's not as, you're going to tell them how the movie's not as good as everyone thinks. Because to me, it's uh, it's got to be up there with the funniest movies of all time. I mean, I don't know what else I'd put up there. Well, I Blazing know, saddles. I mean, that. And, well, I just think the first 50 minutes of it is wonderful, but then I don't like the ending. In fact, I've re-edited the ending, and I will show the audience my version of the ending. So that's sort of world first. Ooh. And I, I edited, re-edited it about ten, 10 days ago on the coach with the guy who makes sure the film's projected properly and does all the IT for the show. <laughs> and we, we've recut it two or three times to make it rather less boring, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what, what, did you, what didn't you like about the end? The, the, the rabbit or, or what? It's too slow. Yeah. It was, so, it was old Terry Gilliam showing us how he could ad- uh, direct adult movies. You know, lots of, lots of shots with, with lots of smoke in, which makes the shots look good. Right. God knows where the smoke's come from. And uh, lots of wonderful, stunning visuals that aren't the slightest bit funny. <laughs> um, so, you see, I would have edited it very differently. But that was the thing about the Pythons. We, we always accepted that we, there was very little that we could agree on, except the need for good food and wine. Right, right. All right. So you think the end is a little too much Brazil and not a, not enough flying circus? All right. I well, I don't know about Brazil. It's just too, it's too full of stunning images, right? Uh, which is not what the movie's about. In fact, the tour manager said to me a couple of weeks ago when we were watching it backstage, we stand behind the screen, so we see a sort of mirror version of it. He said it's as though seven minutes has been cut into Holy Grail from a completely different kind of movie. <laughs> and that's exactly how I saw it. I thought that was very well put. Oh, well, we can't wait to see your uh, new and improved director's uh, re-edited cut here. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, the, the audiences say they like it better. Yeah. I don't know if they're just being polite, but actually I think they do because they suddenly realize how much of that ending isn't really funny. Right, there you go. Well, uh, up until that point, it's funny as hell, man. I mean, obviously, we'll remind our listeners, in case they haven't seen it in a while, you've uh, played Sir Lancelot the Brave, but also tons of other little, uh, you know, supporting characters. Well, I, I play the guy whose arms and legs get chopped yeah, off. Yeah, I always enjoyed that. The Black Knight. How did you come up with It's Only a Flesh Wound? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I told Graham a story that I'd been told when I was 15 about a wrestling match in Rome where uh, people, had, uh, the two wrestlers had got so intertwined, it was a loud crack. And one guy's arm had broken and the referee broke his up and sent him off to get his arm set and said to the other guy, he won and the other guy was dead. And that struck me as being terribly funny. I think <laughs> to have gone through that and won and never to know that you'd won would be very disappointing. The teacher tried to say that, tried to tell us that it meant that if you didn't give up, you couldn't be beaten. Ah. So if you think about it, that's what gave us the idea for the Black Knight. And talk about how that scene, the importance of, of how it sort of ramps up, how you lose one like one limb at a time. I mean, you got. I mean, if you just lost them all immediately, it wouldn't be as funny. But I love how you just you just keep adding and keep losing limbs, and it's by the end you're just hopping on one leg. I'm dying, cracking up just thinking about it. But, you know, a guy, um, a guy who only had one leg, a monopod. <laughs> Um, who was a silversmith in the city of London, and his name, I always like this, was Richard Burton. He (laughs) took over from me and put my armor on after I'd lost one of my legs. Um, Uh But uh, what's so funny about it is that people laugh at (laughs) 
see the guy having his arms and legs chopped off. And it is, of course, because he shows no, he's not even disappointed. You see, let alone showing that it hurts. Uh, and if he did, if he did indicate for a moment that he was hurt, then the audience would stop laughing. But when he doesn't, then it's like watching Tom and Jerry. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? He just keeps on coming. Um, uh, and, uh, he just keeps on coming. It doesn't matter what he loses. He keeps coming. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. And you also, of course, you play the man bringing out your dad. And, and uh, <laughs> Do you remember which one of you guys came up with, when you were sitting writing the script? Which one of you came up with the guy well, over Graham your shoulder? Well, Graham I wrote that. Yeah. I know I wrote it with Graham, but when you write something with someone, you never remember afterwards which, which one of you said what. Yeah. But I, that's wonderfully cruel. I was extraordinary. I want to laugh at something so cruel. But again, it's like a cartoon, you know. I said, I bring him, I bring the guy out. He says, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I feel happy. <laughs> no, I <can't> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and I say something like, shut up, you'll be dead soon. And, and he says, no, but I'm not dead yet. It's wonderfully <laughs> cruel. But that's why we can laugh at it so much, because nobody's really upset. I'm, yeah, I'm sen- I'm sensing a theme here. You know, as the the Black Knight, he just loses limbs, keeps coming. Even the dead guy keeps coming. He's happy. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of very black humor in it, but it's silly humor, and you know, nobody nobody takes it uh, any more seriously than they would Tom and Jerry. Absolutely. And all right, one more supporting character from the role from the movie that you played, the witch hunting villager. When she turned me into a newt, but you got better. Uh, what? Well, yeah, t- right. Talk about the importance of the pause in between. Between the newt and the I got better. I think it's all in the pause that makes it funny. You're quite right, because what he says, she turned me into a newt. There's a pause while everyone around him looks at him <laughs> and registers the fact that he is definitely not a newt at that moment. So then he has to modify his excuse. <laughs> so, quite right. It's the pause that's funny. So the, when the person in the Q&A in the audience asked if you could turn someone into a dessert, you turn them into dessert, but they got better. <laughs> Very good. There you go. Very All right. good. No, it's, I hadn't thought of that. It's such a... It's, oh, there you go. There's your response if, if anyone asks that again. But uh, no, it's, uh, to, me, to me, the funniest thing is the sight gag, the, just the visual of the, the clanking of the coconuts as the galloping horses. Do you remember how you guys came up with that one? 
Well, that was uh, that was Michael Palin, I think. Uh, Terry Jones may have had a hand in it, but it was basically Michael's stuff. And when we were writing the script to begin with, we had no idea what we were doing, and we certainly had no idea what the film was going to be about. In fact, we threw away, you might not believe this, but it's true, we threw away 90% of the first draft. Wow. It just wasn't any good. Uh, I mean, it was funny, but it didn't hang together in any way. So when we then focused on Michael's uh, piece with the coconuts, we suddenly thought, this is what the movie's about. This this is it. Uh, we just got a sense that we should be writing it in that period, because in the first draft, there was a lot of stuff from modern day. So once we decided to do it, make it medieval, um, we, we, we were away. And of course, it's very lucky in retrospect, because of course, uh, because it's historical, it never dates. Absolutely. Uh, all right, Mr. Cleese, uh, I guess uh, just in closing, uh, why why should we come out here and, and see the show? I can think of no good reason at all. <laughs> Perfect way to leave it. Hey, thank you so much, man. Hilarious as always. Okay, bye. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. Explain your DNA on on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.